What's up, everybody? Welcome to my new podcast. My name is Oakley, and the name of this podcast is DCIM Capstone Podcast. And today's episode is titled Digital Content Piracy in the Age of Streaming. Now, a little bit about this podcast. The DCIM minor is the minor that I'm currently taking at Rutgers University. And what is DCIM, you may ask? Well, it stands for Digital Communications, Information, and Media. And this podcast is a part of my project for the capstone of the minor. You can check out some more of the work that I've done towards the minor on my website in the other pages under the project page. And before we get started today, I just want to kind of tell us what the format of this podcast is, just so you know kind of where your expectations are. So the format is a simple conversation between me and you, the audience. So it's going to be a little one-sided today, but that's okay. And it's going to be an informative and hopefully fascinating discussion that I think is relevant today. I you know, I think about it constantly, and this topic has huge implications for the future of the entertainment industry. I think that's potentially one of the reasons why it's so relevant and such a big deal. And before we get going, I'm going to break down the podcast into the following thematic segments. So first, we're going to be talking about streaming and some of the contextual elements that you should know about streaming before we talk about piracy. And then we're going to get into a definition of piracy. And then some of the motivations behind piracy because it's pretty fascinating where different people can kind of come from, why they choose to do it, and the like. And then we're going to be discussing the effects of piracy, both negative and actually some positive effects, believe it or not. And then finally, we're going to discuss how to prevent piracy from a studio perspective, from an economic perspective, and a technology perspective. And I'm also going to reference my sources that I used for this research, which will be cited and linked in the description for your convenience. And without further ado, let's get started. So in order to know a little bit more about the context of what we're going to be talking about today with digital piracy, I'm going to be talking about streaming services themselves first. And I actually wrote an essay called Digital Streaming Services, an Endless Flood of Content and Change. Now, if you want to read this essay in its entirety, it's on my website under the projects page. And after that, you just hit Digital Technology and Disruptive Change. Scroll down to where you see the title of the essay and hit Download Here. And that essay, I did a very long deep dive into streaming services as an emerging digital technology. I had, I had a good time researching that and you know how the streaming service largely is replacing cable television and all the other elements that go along with that. So in order to understand piracy a little bit better, specifically digital streaming piracy, we have to define streaming itself. And 
digital streaming in the context that we're going to be talking about really is digital libraries of entertainment content that you can use online via a subscription. There are many companies that offer subscriptions to their services, Netflix, Disney+, Amazon Prime Video, Apple TV+, HBO Max, the list just goes on and on. And you can use these services to watch movies, TV shows, and more directly through the platform. Now, streaming video on demand, as these streaming services are also called, is famously popularized by Netflix when they launched their streaming online platform in 2007. I remember the days where, you know, you would just go on their website choose the movie that you wanted and then it would be shipped to your house in a little Netflix, red Netflix envelope and you'd have to put the DVD in your DVD player and you only can watch that movie that you selected. And you're stuck with that choice. If you didn't like it, you had to send it back. But, you know, Netflix completely changed the game when they introduced their online platform because you had a library of movies hundreds if not thousands of movies at launch and I mean look where they are now you know and streaming itself largely because of Netflix has grown exponentially since then and it's been less than 20 years and we have so much content at our fingertips literally at our fingertips if you have a a tablet and you use that for your streaming But streaming has changed the ways that people around the world consume, share, and I think most importantly, demand entertainment content because we've become so used to, you know, having everything that we want, having everything that we can think of at our fingertips. And that demand is sort of what drives these streaming services to keep pushing themselves to produce new content, to produce competitive content, you know, award-winning content that people are interested in. And I want to share some numbers with you just to kind of put into perspective this streaming game that uh, actually really is the streaming wars, as I've seen many outlets call it. The global streaming market will be worth upwards of 180 billion billion with a b by 2027 and you know that's only five years from now and just to think you know that netflix 20 years prior to to that estimation date was just a you know fledgling streaming services is mind-blowing now the numbers i'm about to share with you are from 2019 but they're still important metrics when you compare them to today's numbers. The total revenue of the global theatrical and home slash mobile entertainment market was $101 billion in 2019. And that was divided among a $48.7 billion slice of that pie was attributed to digital streaming alone. And theatrical entertainment in comparison to digital streaming was only 42.2 billion so even in 2019 
before the pandemic, before everybody was stuck at home and all of the streaming services numbers were increasing exponentially, you already had streaming outpacing theatrical entertainment in terms of total revenue globally. So that was $48.7 billion in comparison to 42.2 for theatrical. Now, as we are in right now, quarter two of 2022, those numbers are surely even more disproportionate after the pandemic, after we've had a year of simultaneous releases to streaming platforms and in movie theaters. So it's just, we don't know exactly how much money these studios have made this year, but streaming is certainly a monster that we can't ignore any longer. And when you talk about piracy, that's when things really get interesting. So now that we have a good solid definition of streaming, digital streaming, let's define piracy. And I'd like to first give a general definition of piracy and a general meaning of it so that you you really have a good foundation for it. And Johnson 2021 said that piracy in you know in the simplest definition is the illegal copying of protected content that infringes on the owner's copyright. Now, when owners create content, when they create art, you know, that's their work of art to own. It's not anybody else's. They can give permission, but if there's an unauthorized copying or, you know, sharing even of that content, that could infringe on the copyright of that owner. And work that can be violated, that can be pirated, can be music, it can be games, it can be software, ebooks, and obviously in terms of our discussion, movies and television, that'll be the most important one that we'll be looking at. And you can, you know, it doesn't, piracy isn't limited to copying that content or downloading that content but even streaming that content without permission and posting on websites pirating websites is one of the biggest violations of a copyright that you could have because you're providing access to somebody else's work on either a website or a network or something like that and you know that harms the copyright owner so that's the definition of piracy digital piracy now how it happens is a little bit of a more complicated story you have a couple different ways that piracy can happen there's a thing called peer-to-peer networks which are online internet enabled networks that actually store and distribute files on individual user computers most of the time without the user's knowledge so if you're clicking on something you click on clickbait for a new movie that just came out and you're using one of these networks the people that develop these networks that 
put that sort of bait out there for users, they can actually have digital either malware or you know something of that nature go onto your computer without your knowledge and by doing that by initially clicking that that button whatever you clicked to enable this peer-to-peer file distribution you know you're unintentionally possibly but you're enabling piracy to happen and you know another way that pirates can sort of pirate content is through cloud services so it doesn't have to be you know a network per se it can be through dropbox it can be onedrive even or google drive and when you think about these cloud offerings you know it's sort of is an infinite way to pirate content i sort of when i was thinking about this thought of it as potentially a Pandora's box of piracy because the cloud is not a finite source of piracy. It's, you know, sort of like the internet where, you know, one user account, if they're using a cloud service to pirate content, if that account's taken down, they could just spring up and make a new one. And then, you know, it's sort of just like an ongoing never-ending cycle that is very hard to stop and as i mentioned and alluded to earlier streaming sites are one of the biggest sources of piracy one of the biggest ways that it happens sites like pirate bay and lime torrents and BitTorrent, really any any site with torrent in it could be it seems a piracy site but you know these sites have their own problems they're unreliable they have pop-up ads that block content so most of the time it's you know difficult if not impossible to pi- uh, to view content on these sites and most of the time they install viruses and ransomware into your computer if you click on them so it really is not a a very reliable source of content and you know but that doesn't stop people from using those sites and uh Bausulay 2021 is another another source i'd like to make reference to in how piracy happens he sort of introduces this idea of stream ripping which is taking streamable content and converting it into a downloadable file so if you have a movie from a streaming site a netflix a disney plus whatever it could be you know having that sort of platform enabled content becomes now a permanent uh file of content as soon as you download it that content can be shared an infinite amount of times it can be watched an infinite amount of times so stream ripping is another way that piracy happens that you know is is very harmful so that sort of gives you an overview of what piracy is how it happens but schwartzel 2021 gives kind of an overview of 
what piracy looks like in Hollywood in 2021 specifically is, is uh, when this article is about and you know what it looks like in the entertainment industry not just you know a pure definition of it and basically you have all of these movies that you know due to the pandemic due to the limited uh resources and limitations that studios had to release their movies during the pandemic a lot of them turned to streaming as i'm sure many of you are aware big studios like disney and warner brothers released their movies simultaneously on their services and in theaters this happened for black widow for the suicide squad for godzilla versus kong all these big blockbusters that the studios had to release they had to had to get them out of their hands and into the audience hand and when studios release movies simultaneously in theaters and day and date on streaming what they essentially do is give pirates an access to an hd high quality version of their movie obviously they're not giving direct access they're not saying here take our movie and steal it <laughs> um, but you know they're putting a digital version a high quality digital version of their content on the internet they're doing it through their service but you know people find a way to illegally copy it and then illegally distribute it and and that's what we're talking about so you know a movie like uh, we'll take godzilla versus kong for example had been pirated last year 34 million times now obviously it's a generalization to to say all right what what could have potentially been the revenue from 34 million tickets sold but you know not all of those people were going to buy a ticket necessarily some people may have watched it through the hbo max platform but it was pirated 34 million times and a number like that can't necessarily be ignored and you know that that is the problem of piracy put kind of quantitatively in a real number that that unfortunately Warren Brothers had experienced firsthand. Now that we've defined piracy, we know what it looks like in Hollywood today. We're going to get into why people pirate, why they illegally copy and distribute content. So stick around for that. This segment is is a pretty long segment, but there's reason for that. This segment is going to really do a deep dive into the motivations behind why people pirate content. And I have two studies to talk about, one by Hankel, James, and Crouch, and this is from 2015. And before looking at 
why people pirate content. Let's take a step back and ask, why do people watch cinema and content in the first place? You know, I think it's important to talk about why people watch it. Why, what's the appeal? And really, they, you know, in this article, they outline a couple of those points. One primarily being the subject matter of the content and of the cinema and the movie stars that are in the movie that they're watching. You know, how many people idolize celebrities and movie stars and, you know, they follow every project that they do. And that's sort of the logic behind that reason. Next, the experience of a blockbuster event is something that draws people to watch cinema all the time. I mean, look at these huge movie releases that have huge global premieres and they go viral online because of the, you know, just the pure fandom and the excitement. And it's just, it's just that feeling of a blockbuster that I know I love and I'm, I'm sure many of you do also. And something else is that people watch cinema because it's an artistic medium. That's, you know, one of the reasons why I like it so much is because I, I love art. And, you know, maybe one day I'll, I'll get into film production. I think that would be awesome. But, you know, it's film really is just another form of art that people are critics of people are film connoisseurs you know it it is called show business and money is a big driving factor of films but films and cinema at at their heart are art so that's a another factor that people watch content in the first place and i thought this was interesting as well that there were three types of movie moviegoers among college students that that this article, this study identified, and they kind of give a little in more insight into why people watch the cinema. There are those that are seeking self-escape. There are those seeking self-development, and then there's those seeking pure entertainment value, and. I personally, I can relate to the those that are seeking self-escape, especially because, you know, I love pop culture so much. I love superhero movies and the like, and, you know, it's a great form of escapism when you go to one of those movies and you're immersed in the sound and you're in the dark and that's all you can focus on. And, you know, it's just, it's a way to sort of escape for two hours or three hours or however long your movie is so i really i see that point and i i identify with that point a lot and so now that we kind of understand a little bit better why people watch cinema we can talk about why people pirate that cinema and that content so a study by redondo and charon in 2013 seeks to understand the characteristics that distinguish three types of downloaders, three groups of downloaders. There are downloaders who never pay. So in other words, people who pirate content. So 
the reason I, I really like this article is that if we can identify the characteristics that distinguish people who don't pay for content, who download content but don't pay, those are the characteristics and some of the reasons why people pirate content. So the other two groups that the study looks at in comparison to those who never pay are downloaders who always pay and downloaders who sometimes pay. And that's also an interesting group to look at because you have a group that isn't, who has their hands sort of in two pots at the same time. And this study uses a framework of cognitive dissonance theory. And this is really fascinating because it's, you know, a scientific analysis and framework for looking at this this phenomenon, this piracy phenomenon, and it seeks to use this theory to understand this payment dilemma faced by internet users when they're deciding whether or not to pay for downloads. And the basis of this cognitive dissonance theory is that people experience an uncomfortable tension when perceiving they have two dissonant cognitions. And a, a dissonant cognition, dissonant means sort of like competing or combative. There's sort of this internal conflict of thoughts, you know, of, of sorts. And, you know, downloaders who never pay, according to this article, are in a disequilibrium because one, they download copyrighted content, they're stealing that content, but they never pay, but they're aware that they never pay. And the comparison that this article, this study uses is with smokers. Now, smokers are probably I would think well aware of the negative health impacts of smoking. Similarly, how people who pirate content are aware that they need to be paying for that content. Smokers, despite knowing those negative health side effects that you know the Surgeon General has on every single pack of cigarettes, they smoke anyway. And they do this with two competing, two dissonant cognitions, and that's kind of the basis of this theory. They're doing something even though they are aware that they shouldn't be. And there's a sort of, there's a disalignment there that is quite interesting. And to justify their actions in their minds, to justify downloaders who never pay, they sort of counter the importance of paying the owners of the content. They sort of dismiss the necessity to pay owners. And obviously that's not right. People who create content deserve to be paid for it if, if, they're, if they're distributing it, if they're selling it. But these downloaders who never pay are just either thinking that they're 
the content is inferior to paying it doesn't deserve it or something like that so you know they could potentially evaluate the creativity and the originality of the work and just you know they just say hey this content this isn't even worth paying for so i'm just going to steal it that that potentially could be their mindset which is not right but it, it is what they think potentially and you know that sort of critical evaluation of the creativity of the work reflects their attitude toward newness and it it represents a negative attitude toward newness you know they're rejecting new content essentially and they're using that feeling that sentiment to justify the fact that they never pay for that content or they steal that content and give it to other people who feel the same way so that that characteristic of having a more negative attitude towards newness is something that distinguishes downloaders who never pay people who pirate content so that's one of the motivations that I've identified through this research that you know is a reason why people pirate content is that they have some sort of ill will or some sort of justification against content creators against big studios that they feel like they just have the freedom to evaluate that content and determine that it's just not even worth paying for and another article that i found the one by henkel james and croach in 2015 you know they use a different analytical framework to examine this this issue of piracy and their research examines the movie consumption habits of young adults and what makes them choose the platform that they watch content on and those platforms are either legal content platforms or illegal platforms pirating and they use a uses and gratifications format of research and this format seeks to kind of explain the origins of the needs that create thoughts and expectations around mass media like film that lead to different uses of that medium so they seek to sort of really go deep to the root of why people you know have thoughts about film and you know how their sort of expectations lead to different uses and their first research question is is actually about why do people legally watch film and why why do they go about it the right way the second research question that's where we really pay attention to and that's what what motivates people to illegally download or stream movies so the first research question what motivates people to legally watch film is is some things that we we touched on already where you know it's it's the cinema experience 
it's the fandom and the hype and the excitement behind movies. That's why people watch film legally. I, I mean, that's the reason why they watch film is because you know there's a social aspect to film. You know, it, it can feel like a social gathering. It can be a social gathering if you have a shared experience with somebody else with a group of people, but. You know, that's those are some of the reasons, like we like we touched on earlier, that people watch film, and those are the reasons why they do it legally is because because of the experience, truly. And like I said, this second research question that this article gives is is where our focus is. That's what motivates people to illegally download or stream movies, and they found. Two major things, really one that stands out to me the most, and they are impatience and lack of guilt. And the impatience really stuck out to me because this article said that the impatience of the illegal downloaders and the illegal streamers overshadowed the morals of the participants. Impatience in Watching content that is newly released, you know, overshadowed everything else. All of their morals were thrown out the window because they were impatient, because they couldn't wait for a domestic release. They want to see this content, you know, when the rest of the world sees it. And you know, this is sort of human nature, but but it's you know a big motivation of piracy is impatience. And I think that's really interesting. And the other thing that sort of coincides with what the other article I was talking about is the lack of guilt. You know, these these pirating illegal downloaders they they lack the guilt that most people have when they. Do something that they're not supposed to. They have a more negative attitude towards the creativity of the content, the content creators themselves, and you know that's reflected in their actions. So that's really sort of like the the bottom line, the motivations of why people pirate content is that people. Are impatient, which you know is a very well-known thing, and you know that leads to them not paying for content because they just simply can't wait. And I think you know the fact that the answer is so simple is is really fascinating. And you know, you really there's not too much you could do to change whether or not people are patient or not. And but there are some things that we can do to prevent piracy, which we will discuss on after we talk about our next topic, which is the effects of piracy, both negative effects and the potential positive effects. So stay tuned.
So in this segment, we're going to be talking about the effects of piracy. Now, LAD2020 says that in 2019, there was 26.6 billion illegal views of movies and 126.7 billion illegal views of TV episodes. Now, these numbers are from 2019. So you can only imagine what these numbers are after the pandemic happened and after streaming really, really took off. And it's also estimated that there's a loss of approximately 230,000 American jobs and a GDP reduction of $47.5 billion because of piracy. Now, to put that in perspective, GDP in 2019 was $21,372,000,000,000. GDP in 2020, with a reduction due to the pandemic, was $20,893,000,000. And then back up in 2021, as a recovery from the pandemic, GDP was $22,993,000,000,000. So the $47.5 billion in GDP reduction uh, as an estimate because of piracy is a small sliver of GDP, but it's still $47.5 billion, which, you know, you can forget how much money that is. But in term, in GDP terms, it's not too much, um, but it, it's still a substantial amount of money. Johnson 2021 explains that large-scale piracy can reduce the incentive to create more content. And this effect is a very serious effect of piracy because it, it affects content creators, which is the source of where we get streaming content. It's where we get creativity and art. So with large-scale piracy, you know, it, it really, it takes a toll on content creators because it damages their profit, it damages their ability to recover their investments that they make. It, it really just affects all the financials that they could possibly earn from the content and the art that they create. And big studios need to recoup their initial investments, their costs to create content, and sometimes those costs are in hundreds of millions of dollars. So to have the prospect of not being able to even break even with their investments is is a scary, scary idea. And Schwartzel 2021 introduces another sort of, it's sort of a dual negative impact of piracy and it is that piracy undermines ticket sales which is you know the box office but for streaming specifically piracy affects subscriber growth on streaming sites and this is the you know the huge mega corporations like disney and amazon and Apple, it streaming has become 
such a huge source of revenue for them that the the potential to have less subscribers because content is being stolen and distributed illegally is it is very damaging for the profit margins of these huge companies and it costs studios billions of dollars in global overseas markets to lose content to to piracy every single year and you know it, they make a lot of money but it definitely has an impact that isn't a very well measured one it's not one that is easily calculated and but but they do they do feel it when when a movie's box office is not performing to the standards that they initially wanted or expected they have to wonder whether or not piracy had a factor in why their movie potentially wasn't as successful as they had hoped and you know it also has an impact on whether or not they have as many subscribers as they forecasted for their streaming services so it's all connected and it's it's got a huge implication for streaming services in particular now fascinatingly Lu Wang and Bendel 2019 have come up with this this idea of a positive impact of piracy and they claim that evidence suggests that word of mouth can be provided by those experiencing the unauthorized pirated goods and they call this the indirect word of mouth effect of piracy and when you think about it it, it really makes sense that when people pirate content it's a greater exposure to people that potentially would never have existed if the content was not pirated it, it reaches essentially a wider audience despite not being a legal a legal approach to to uh you know an audience expansion of sorts and this sort of word of mouth takes shape when people make recommendations online when they write blogs when they leave reviews and all of these sort of they could be online interactions they could be word of mouth in person every one of these interactions has the effect of spreading information and awareness about the content that they're watching even though it's pirated content it's still getting out word of mouth is spreading and you know an example that this article gives which is is a great example is that game of thrones was the most pirated show in 2012 but the director didn't worry about illegal downloads because of the cultural buzz generated by piracy and this is fascinating because you know it really it, it does have an effect on the sort of excitement surrounding a project or 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 a release 
and it, it has the effect of of spreading hype and awareness that something like a TV show or movie exists and that it's good. So it, it it's a you know a double-edged sword. It, it's illegal pirated means, but it also is sort of helping movies out. So it, it's very interesting to think about. And this study aimed to quantify that positive indirect word of mouth effect of piracy on sales. And it only focuses on post-release piracy. So what they look at specifically is sort of on the after release end of the of the piracy. It's not so much pirating and illegal sharing before the movie comes out it's after the movie or the tv show is out and people are talking about it that's sort of where they're looking and they discovered that the net effect of post-release piracy on total box office revenue is about three percent so you do have sort of a positive effect that piracy is having on revenue and it's because of this word of mouth spreading this excitement and awareness of the projects so a very interesting idea and sort of counter argument to all of the negative things that are typically associated with piracy that we discussed earlier now this is to it's not to dismiss that pre-release piracy is associated with an 11% decline in revenues despite the word of mouth effect. So those two things, the sort of 3% effect that the post-release piracy had and the 11% that the pre-release piracy had, it it sort of negates the 3% positive effect but you know, it, it doesn't discount the fact that that exists and it's an interesting thing to be aware of and the next segment our, our final segment of this podcast we're going to talk about how to prevent piracy or if we can't prevent it we're going to sort of look at how to mitigate it a little bit from a few different perspectives so keep listening for that I'm going to break down how to prevent piracy from a few different perspectives and angles. Those include a company perspective, from a campaign perspective, a consumer perspective, and a technology perspective. Now, Henkel, James, and Croach 2015 sort of introduce the ideas of how to prevent piracy from a company perspective and those would be you know they suggest that the main ways that you could reduce piracy would be to decrease costs accelerate release dates develop better paid online services and offer a larger range of movies now decreased costs is something that I could see being, you know, a direct correlation with piracy because 
you know, piracy is sort of centered around not paying for content or illegally copying content without financially compensating the creator of that content. So, you know, that's the biggest way to prevent piracy would be to decrease costs because a lot of people only pirate content because it's free. And, you know, that's sort of their one of their motivators as well. Now, one of the ones that I find interesting is on this list is to offer a larger range of movies. And it's I find it interesting because there is such an already expansive selection library of content and movies on streaming platforms that I'm not sure how much larger it could possibly get unless you know these streaming sites combine and merge into mega streaming sites but at the same time the companies behind those sites would have to agree on sort of a merger of sorts but you know those things are very big investments and it's it would be easier for a single company to increase their library of content rather than to merge with another. Now Schwartzel 2021 sort of looks at how to prevent piracy from a campaign perspective. And this involves anti-piracy advocacy groups and campaigns that work with law enforcement and policymakers to tighten regulation and penalties for piracy. Now these advocacy groups are somewhat effective. They aren't, I, I believe, as effective as a company like utilizing their resources to sort of combat piracy, but they do exist and and reach some people. And Redondo and Charon uh, from 2013, they also give a campaign perspective, but they tell us what campaigns should avoid and that is insisting that someone should not pirate or illegally download because those people are already well aware of of that behavior and they'll wind up simply undervaluing the compensation that is due to creators for their work so they suggest to use positive messages instead to celebrate the value sort of of artistic creativity and i think i think this perspective might be slightly over optimistic in approach i think that you know just saying oh wow this this uh content is is so incredibly artistic and creative I'm not sure if that alone would dissuade people from pirating content, but I'm assuming that, you know, some people will really internalize those messages. But for the most part, I would think that people who illegally copy or distribute content are pretty, they won't really listen to those sort of positive messages, at least. That's my perspective, and I'm, I'm a slight pessimist, so that's maybe why I'm thinking that way, but yeah. Now, Johnson 2021 gives how to prevent piracy from a consumer perspective. And basically, 
he kind of lists ways to avoid piracy from from a consumer's point of view, and that can include using parental controls if a consumer has children, and not using peer-to-peer networks if somebody can avoid them, just to completely stay away from peer-to-peer networks that can, you know, like I said earlier, damage your computer without maybe your knowledge by installing files and malware into your computer then that can really mess things up also just to use mainstream streaming services and i think it's a bit common sense to that a, a way to avoid piracy would be to use the proper streaming service but i think maybe it's important just to list the most simple example and lab 2020 mentions how to avoid piracy and how to prevent piracy from a technology perspective. And this is really fascinating because research suggests that when presented with clean search engine result pages and authorized options, consumers will choose to pay for content rather than venturing to click past the first page on Google. And According to a 2019 study from Carnegie Mellon University, reducing the prominence of pirated content in search results can have a significant impact on users' propensity to choose legal or pirated content, and is therefore a pretty good anti-piracy strategy. Now, controlling search engine result pages by detecting, reporting, and removing listings with anti-piracy software is probably one of the most effective ways to clean search engines from displaying pirated content and i think it's sort of a great idea to sort of combat piracy from one of the main sources of pirated content and that is just from the search results from the internet and it's a great way to really nip it at the bud and I think could be quite effective going forward. Now Baosulei 2021 sort of presents the difficulties in preventing piracy and addressing piracy and it's that too many countries have access to pirated content and that laws, international laws, and even local laws are inconsistent in dealing with this issue. Also, that people know how to outsmart the system. I mean, piracy has existed for decades and networks, peer-to-peer networks, file-sharing networks, and piracy sites have had years to adapt and figure out certain workarounds to laws and certain software, anti-piracy softwares and and the like. Now, with that being said, Preventing piracy is not going to be an easy task. It it certainly is a very complicated task, but it can be sort of attacked from many different prongs through the company's perspective, a campaign's perspective with maybe governmental resources, or a consumer perspective, and like we said, a technology perspective. So it is not an impossible task. It is just going to be a very difficult one that companies are going to have to sort of weigh how 
much it'll help them and they're in their sort of quest to make as much profit as they can and all in all that concludes our podcast on digital piracy and streaming piracy and i hope that you took something away from this that you didn't know before whether it was what motivates people to pirate content or the effects that digital piracy has on the economy on content creators on media companies and even maybe how to prevent piracy and some behaviors to avoid in your own attempts to avoid pirated content and definitely to avoid those viruses that that pirating sites can put on your computer you 100% do not want that so I thank you for listening to this podcast it was a long one but I hope that the information in here can help you in the future and inform you on this topic as it constantly evolves with the streaming era sort of taking off and it definitely does not seem to be stopping anytime soon. Everybody's going to have to adapt to this this changing landscape. So once again, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it and visit my website my personal website for more information, resources, and other projects that I've worked on. Thanks.